We're here. We are here. And congratulations on your podcast. You know, to see you follow all the dreams that you want to have and do, like, Happy International Women's Day. It is International Women's Day. I mean, it's our day every day, but, you know, it is International Women's Day. I'm going to get back to that. I'm going to ask you to think about who you want to show particular love and gratitude for today. I know every day, but I'm going to ask you to come back to that. Okay, absolutely. And I hope that you know how much love and gratitude I have for you. Thank you so much for being here. It's just, it means the world to me that you have taken time out of your busy schedule, that we have the ability to spend last night having an amazing, beautiful dinner together, that we have a long Can we talk about the food last night? I'm still sitting in that. I'm like, I actually haven't eaten anything since then because it was just so good that I don't want to add anything to what I just ate last night. We went to this amazing Israeli uh, restaurant in a neighborhood called Buena Vista in a little area called Buena Vista near where I live for people who are watching. And we had just really fresh Um, delicious food that was, some of it was kosher, some was vegetarian, all of it was made with tons of love. The ingredients were fantastic. The the people who are there uh, working with us were so kind and generous and in love with the experience that we were having, including the chef and all the people who were waiting on us. It was such a delightful experience. You know, I was so impressed with the love. Like, the love was in the food, but it was also, like, in the environment, right? Like, from the chef to the lady who served us, like she was even in love with the food. <laughs> Every time she brought a dish to us, she's just like, oh my God. I, <laughs> I know. It was like I walked out, I walked away from there like, wow, love. I know. That's just it. love. How do we just and the simple, I was thinking about that again this morning. I think about it all the time. Like and I feel like we honed in on it yesterday that the simplest pleasures are bring us the greatest joy and they have the most meaning. You know, I've I've spent, and we can talk about this more, an entire life kind of doing this and doing that and sometimes chasing and sometimes receiving and sometimes measuring myself against or being measured against. And it's actually the simple, beautiful pleasure. It's having good food with a good friend and surrounded by love. That's right. That's all that matters. No, as I'm getting older, it's the simplicity that I find the most pleasure in. The simplicity of being alone, the simplicity of the the energy that I'm exerting when it comes to stress, you know, simple. Peaceful, simple. I think like those are my two key words since I've been in my 40s. Yep. Oh, in your 40s. (laughs) Don't rub it in. I'm a couple years Well, next year I'll be leaving the 40s, so you know. (laughs) Gracefully, gracefully, you're doing it well. But you are. You know, I feel very blessed that I have some of the most amazing girlfriends. Mm. And then the bonus is how strikingly gorgeous all of my girlfriends are. Like the inside matches the out. Mm. Isn't that beautiful? Yeah. It's just heavy emphasis on the inside. That's heavy emphasis so on the inside. And I think they're connected. I think sometimes we radiate like the beauty that shows on the outside is because we have it on the inside. Like I feel like I I feel like I look better and feel more comfortable in my skin when I'm happy. Energetically, there is a glow that we're able to produce when we are very happy. Yeah. That that inside engineering, that yep. inner engineering, right? Yep. Like fixing all those pieces. And coming to terms with, for me, it was coming to terms with, 
who I am yeah. and accepting that. And then internally it just started radiating. Yeah. And I had people saying to me, you're glowing. You're look, you look like you're floating. And I thought that was like the most amazing compliment because as a woman, yeah. literally I thought for a long time, the biggest compliment was what, how I could push myself professionally. Yeah. And then here I am at f about to be 49 in a couple of weeks where it's more about, well, actually have four weeks. Um, it's more about how I'm pushing myself inside to just be at peace yeah. and accept myself, not tolerate myself, but accept myself. Ooh, what journey that that's a journey. That's a journey. It's a journey. Okay. Speaking of journey, I'm going to, I'm going to start us off. Yes. A couple sentences Let's start back. with the journey. Let's start. Let's start. So culture road, right? So culture road, the, the, the slogan is transformation is a journey journey. And it's not just meant to be kind of a slogan. It really is the perfect way to embody all of my life's work, personally and professionally, where I'm always working with, first starting with myself, but also with leaders, with organizations and communities to say, who are we? How did we get to be where we are right now? How do we um, kind of think about the alignment that we have between where we are right now and our values the world that's continuously evolving around us and then who we want to be going forward. And so for me, this is all just one big, amazing journey. And we are all in constantly in the process of transformation. With that said, I think it's really important for all of us to start with kind of an acknowledgement of kind of who we are and how we came to be here. That's not just about the amazing accolades. And you have amazing accolades. You were at the White House last week. I'm going to ask you about that. You are the co-founder of Rain Ventures, a black woman-owned uh, venture firm. You have been the star of Undercover Billionaire. You've started record labels. I mean, the things that you haven't done are, are you, I can only think of maybe one or two things that maybe you haven't done. And I, I don't know. It's amazing. <laughs> but but a step, stepping aside from all of those amazing accolades, which I'd love for you to tell us more about who are you and how did you come to be who you are? Who is Monique Eidlet? You know, thank you for that kind, kind intro. And I'm hoping that there are still many things that I haven't done. I have a feeling. <laughs> um, because the way I see life is that I'm never supposed to arrive. And I truly hope I stay that student of life. Um, you know, I would, to who I am, who am I? L let me start with my favorite quote. And you know me very well, so you've heard this a million times, but for the, those that are listening to this, I think on this very particular day, International Women's Day, I think it's really important for us to understand this process, this journey that we're gonna talk about, right? And so my one of my favorite quotes is by Maya Angelou. Mm. We delight in the beauty of the butterfly but rarely admit the changes yeah. it has gone through to achieve that beauty. I, my journey has been a very complex, complicated one. But the interesting thing that now that I'm here in this space, like today with myself and have come to love, like truly genuinely love myself, it's interesting that most of the complications came from myself. <laughs> if I'm very honest, yeah. right? Most of the pressures, most of the things, the challenges that I was constantly pushing myself through was in fear of judgment and opinions of others. Yep. And to be about to be 49, mm. to know that, to be honest about that, it's, but it's the truth, right? Mm -hmm. Who, 
I'm always asking myself, who are you? The reality was that I never took a moment to just appreciate who I actually was and what I came from. You know, I'm a I'm the oldest child of a single mom. We grew up in income based projects in Perth Amboy, New Jersey until I was 12 years old. Then we relocated to the Midwest. Super culture shock. Right. Went from being in a culturally diverse, inclusive community in this New York City all the time growing up in North New Jersey where my father's from growing up it was city life and you saw everything all walks of life to moving to the Midwest where all of a sudden you're like an Oreo a zebra it's yeah. like what is that you know I don't know what that is and then by 18 I'm pregnant and all of these judgments judgments, judgments, judgments of what I thought people would feel about me. And in fact, some people did right at 18 when I became pregnant, only a couple people in my family chose to continue to speak to me. They were mad at my mother for not forcing me to abort my son. And let me just tell you, it was the most, he is single-handedly the reason he grew up with me. He helped give me purpose and reason and stepped me. He kind of accelerated the woman that I was always born to be, but he accelerated, he accelerated that process to happen quicker yeah. because I made that decision at 18 that it was no longer about me and everything shifted from you're 18 and young, and you know, nothing to now I'm making the decision that I don't matter anymore, but he does. And, and everything I wanted to do was for him to be, you know, a better example yeah. and not, not have him go through the journey that I went through. I was sexually violated at 10 years old, you know, so all of these traumas happen. And the reality is that no much, no matter how much I still was in counseling since I was 10, but you know what? It wasn't doing anything for me. Yeah. Right. Because I was a child. Yeah. Trying to understand these adult things. And the reality is that in my 20s, I realized that I was only as good as my my healed childhood trauma. So, you know, being a young mom, being in college, being, you know, I think my first step into like seeing the world for what it was in a larger global scale was when I was recruited by USA Today. And I was like the first African-American exec, senior exec on the advertising and sales side and literally the youngest. So my colleagues were all older and I learned a lot. But here's the biggest thing I learned. I learned the way men did business. Mm. And, you know, I learned that in the first 60 seconds, they knew each other's name. But most importantly, they knew what they needed from each other. And it wasn't looked down upon. And culturally, especially as a woman, as a black woman, it was, we don't need anything. Yep. We can do it all. Yep. And I watched my mother, quote unquote, do it all to a fault, though. Yep. It's all to a fault. And, you know, on this journey of and answering the question, who am I? I am Monique. <laughs> and I am Monique. And most importantly, the biggest thing about me is I am love. <laughs> I, you know. My answer 10 years ago was different. I am this, I'm an entrepreneur, I am, I'm a mom. I'm, no, I am Monique because the first person I had to truly learn how to love was myself. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't, I was showing up for everyone, but in, in a way that was very filtered, yep. right? Had conditions with it, had all these different things because I was looking for certain outcomes. Yep. And who I am today is Monique. I celebrate that. There's a lot of titles I carry, but who I am is Monique. Yeah. And the most important thing about me is I am love. I love it. 
Good answer. And thank I am you. The, <laughs> you know, you and I have known each other for a long time. A long time. Like before we had your youngest, yep. my only. So that's what, 15 years at least. Fra no, Frankie was two years old when I met you, oh and goodness. he's 20. Oh, wow. So we've known each other for longer. 18 years. Wow. It was a long time. Oh, Frankie's 20. And, and talk about a journey because we've known each other for 18 years, but even in knowing each other for 18 years, there's all these layers yep. that we've been able to start peeling off the longer that we've known. And that's why you know for a fact it's about the process and the journey. Yep. Because I was just going to say, what you just shared on a podcast in five minutes, it took me all of those 18 years to get to know about you. And, and I think it's because of what you said, you know, so many times along our lives journey, we are living in a mode of kind of protecting ourselves from judgment or holding our cards close to our vest or not knowing who to trust for all the right reasons, right? We've had so many experiences before of saying, you know what, trusting too soon or trusting too easily doesn't necessarily work out well for me. And so we're slower to that. And I had very similar experiences of myself right. where I've always felt kind of um, judged or insecure. I always wrestled with significant insecurity. And to, for us to be able to kind of continuously kind of move along this journey together and watch it unfold the way that it has is just magical. It's interesting too, I was recently reading a book about a longitudinal study, um, 75 years longitudinal study wow. on human happiness. And the subjects go literally 75 years back and over time they had to add more people to the um, control group to make sure that there was um, representation across socioeconomic uh, uh, classifications and, and racial and ethnic identities and cultural experiences. But with all of those factors at play, they got to the end of this, at where, where we currently are 75 years in and said to people, what is the one thing that you wish you would have done differently. And almost universally, people after 75 years looking in the rearview mirror said the one thing that they wish they would have done differently is stop worrying about other people's opinions as much. You know, to actually be themselves right. in a way that allowed them to um, have that inner voice that speaks to us that says, here's who you are and here's what your true north is. And those other voices that are coming at you or opinions that are being hurled at you or that you might even be sometimes um, ingesting that may not be meant for us are, are, not, are not mine. And it's so interesting to see that wisdom, but to also be able to, at this point in our lives, to be able to make kind of the, the intentional pivots, right. right? To say, you know what, I haven't done all of that every step of the way, but I still have plenty of time in front of me to make those adjustments and then to model for our children what that looks like. It, it's the undoing, right? Yeah, yeah. So when I think about my first memory of judgment was when I was 10, I'm sexually violated. There's about to be a court case and the judge tells my mom, your, your daughter shouldn't be here. Send them somewhere safe. My father at the time owned some Dunkin' Donuts in Huntington Beach, California. He was remarried. They had, at the time, two small children. And we were shipped from New Jersey to, I was, my, I was 10, my sister was eight, to Huntington Beach, California. My father was a serial entrepreneur, was never home, always working. Mm. So at a very vulnerable time, you know, based on a judge's, I understand, right? It's a, yeah. It was a public court system, a public court case. There would be cameras in there. Mm -hmm. And the judge felt like it just wasn't appropriate for me to have to endure my name being in the media. Yeah. But 
I don't understand that at 10. Yeah. And all I know that happens is I'm sent to somewhere that is not my mom. And it feels like punishment. It feels, it you know. It felt like a judgment. Like, what did I do wrong, yeah. right? So I processed that. Then my next judgment that I can recall that was very impactful is that everyone that loved me, I lost, my friends were no longer allowed to hang around me when I was 18 and pregnant, right? And all this judgment, you're not gonna be anything. Yep. Then I leave college and I go to USA Today and the last thing that they wanna hear about is that I was a teen mom, okay, coming from the projects, and I had an equal job as the 40 and 50 year old Caucasian executives, Yeah. okay? So those conversations were not, I hid those conversations. I would hate when someone would ask me personal questions. And it was literally, I was projecting all of my insecurity of yeah. all the judgments that I felt like was being passed on me. You know, judgment of being a teen mom. And at that time, there was like all these campaigns about yep, teen yep, yep. pregnancy. I remember it, yep. It was horrific. Yep. And so I felt like, in fact, they tried to like make me go to a college that was for teen parents, as if I was a straight A student. I had scholarships. And so make. I remember my mother pulling me to the side and say, listen, here's what you're going to do. What you're gonna do is hold your head up high. Hmm. What you're gonna do is do everything you ever dreamed of and more. And what you're also gonna do is not concern yourself with the opinions of others. And yes, that was very heartfelt coming from my mother. She loved me, but it being in the world and operating under that. Yeah. And I had no friends that I had anything in common with. College was very lonely for me. Yeah, I bet. And so, you know, I was working three full-time jobs. Hmm. And then my father passed, I'm 21. And then my two sisters from his second marriage came to live with me, you know? And so when you think about these, all these judgments, all these pressures, I literally put myself into a pressure cooker and I expected the best of myself. I expected myself to accomplish anything and everything. But most importantly, I feel like I deserve to be in all the best rooms. How? How? So I... I, I, every part about this story just has me like, I don't know if I want to cry or if I has goosebumps or don't I, cry I, girl, because I mean, only because amazing. of that story. Am I sitting here today? No, not cry. Like, as in, I feel sorry for you, but cry as in like, it's a tremendous tale. And also because it's a, it's, it's amazing that you're telling it literally. I've known you for a long time. This isn't the way that we always talk, right? I Even was very though, embarrassed by my story for a long time. I yeah. was ashamed of being a teen mom. Mm. To the point where some people would ask me, oh, how old is your son? And I wouldn't answer. Yeah. You know, that when I was young, like I, I just wouldn't answer because immediately they'd be like, oh my gosh, what were you doing? And I remember my mother saying to me, you're just the proof. I need you to understand that. It's not that this is not happening mm. with their children. You're just the proof that it happens. There's a big difference, Monique. And that did stick with me. That was a, a big sentence that I would remember often from my mother. I love that, that you, you throw in like sentiments that came from your mother that were just like, they're so powerful and so amazing. But it also makes me wonder how it is, like where did you get this fortitude? I mean, I, I, I hear you loud and clear saying, you know, I went to college and I had a child of my own and I had my young siblings that came to live with me. I was a straight eight student. I went to USA Today and got this job that people like me didn't have. I was supposed I to have 25 years experience, but lesson taught with that, I asked for what I wanted. I actually was hired as a junior executive, went in to work the first day, 
and they were interviewing an older lady. And I asked, here's my bias. I said, oh, are you hiring a secretary? They said, no, this actually will be your direct report, like your direct boss. Mm. Um, and I said, oh, I want, that's the job I actually want. <laughs> and she did, Sean McCarthy did just that. Yeah. She laughed at me. <laughs> and then I said, no, I actually want that job. And she said, you're serious. This is why, you know what, this is a great story for International Women's Day. This is why it's important that as women, we see each other. Yeah. She was a Vanderbilt graduate, came from a very prestigious family. We had nothing in common. But she looked at me and she said, oh, wait, you're serious. Yeah. And I said, yes. And she said, well, guess what? We can try. I love it. And she, she shipped me off to Arlington, Virginia, where the headquarters were for USA mm. Today at the time. And I sat in that big corporate office with all the C-suites, right? They interviewed me for days and they gave me the job. You, I, I was supposed to have 25 years experience. I asked what I wanted. I, I said I wanted it. And I was willing to do the work to actually not just be good at it, but be great at it. How? Okay. So this is, you know, I, I talk to people all day, every day. One of the number one topics that comes up is imposter syndrome. People just wrestle with confidence and they wrestle with, am I supposed to be here? And are other people seeing me for the imposter that I believe myself to be. Given all that you just described about your upbringing and judgment and all, all of that, how is it that you got the inner confidence to be able to, one, come to clarity about this is what I want, and then two, be able to have the nerve to follow through with it behaviorally? Because a lot of people can dream about what they want, but they don't actually act on it. What, what was the secret or what is the secret? Because you continue to do that. And you, I think, have tremendous confidence, even on the inside, if you may be wrestling with some judgment, the way that it comes across on the outside is incredible confidence. How do you do that? God, <laughs> literally. Mm. I wish I could take credit for all these things. Um, in fact, half the time, I don't even, it's things that are in the making. And a lot of times I have been the first one to do something, but that's actually not the thought process for me. Mm. It's literally that beautiful being that God has created me to be. And I wish I could say, oh, it's me, me, me. No, actually, this is bigger than me. And I know that my life is actually not about me. And I think early on, I was able to kind of start seeing that and start accepting that. And I was just willing to be audacious. Yeah. I also had a support system of a mother and a family that dared, dared me to try anything I wanted to be. My mother was a, is a big dreamer and she never saw limits or boundaries and she raised us like that. Love it. Um, and then the other side of it is just that, just being willing, you know, to put yourself out there. Yeah. Um, I've never been afraid to fail, but I've been afraid to fail, if that makes sense. I've never been afraid to try anything, but it's because I never want to go back to the projects. Hmm. I don't want to fail. Feeling. Yeah, yeah, okay? I know that feeling. And the reality of this all is that my whole life has been ups and downs. It literally is just that. It's been this, this, this. I wish I could say it's been some perfect like this. No, never. It has never been that. But through each of those down moments, it's been that beautiful lesson. Yeah. And I've learned to accept that part of the journey more now. So yeah. it's easier to try things. But it, this is never me. This is all God. Yeah, that's good. We got to give God. credit. My yeah, angels, yeah. <laughs> my spirit guides, my ancestors. Like there's a team of people and yeah. things and things that we can't explain 
that guide us through this, this life journey. I'm a firm believer that we're literally spiritual beings having a physical experience. Yeah. And that when you understand it in that way, you understand all the impossibilities that can happen. Yeah. And we kind of see ourselves as um, spiritual beings. And we also unleash the power of dreaming and imagination and endless kind of abundance and possibilities, which is where mm -hmm. some of that audacity can live. Absolutely. Now, I will say this. My mother was is to this day has always been a person who saw other people. She taught us that as a very, as very young children, like reading other people. Is that what you mean? Meaning seeing people outside of just your own personal desires. Mm. For example, I remember one time as a kid, we were in Perth Amboy driving from downtown back to where we lived and we were passing the waterfront and then passing this one famous McDonald's that we, we would always stop at. And outside of that McDonald's was a family, a, a woman with some children. And she had like a, like a sign up or something for help. And I remember my mother only had $20 and she stopped and she pulled over and she gave the woman the $20. And then I asked my mom, I was a kid, I was young. I said, why did you just give her your last $20? And she looked at me and she said, oh, Monique, we have millions of homes we can go eat at. We have family everywhere here. Hmm. I don't have to worry about where our food can come from, but she does. I love that answer. <laughs> and you know, that was literally the philosophy of my mother. Yeah. My mother would stop and pick up strangers. My mother has had strangers sleep at our home. Yeah. My mother has always seen other people and she looks at them and whatever she has, she's going to give it to them. Yeah. And she taught us to be selfless like that. Yeah. And that to me is kind of created who I also am. Yeah. Right. I, is that foundation? Similar, yeah. Is that foundation? Yeah. Now I think that I, what I've learned in life is that there has to be some balance to it. Um, and I've had to have those tough lessons in that where I've given yeah. everything I have and it never comes back in that way from that particular person. So there's balance to all these things. And I've learned that through the journey, but if I have to pick one way, I'm always going to pick the way of giving. Agreed. Agreed. I feel like I, I, I default, I really, my default is to be of service and to be generous. And it has really, really hit me over the head many times in my life and in very severe ways, yes. but I never, 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 I would never change it. I, I always feel like my true North is to be of service. What I am meant to do in this world is to be helpful and to be generous and to be incredibly grateful for all the times and places that people have been helpful and generous to me because I've had so much of that. So I, I love that. And I know that because you've been really generous with me too over the course of and our you as well to me, you know, I think that these are my favorite types of relationships when th they don't reach the peak yeah. so early, right? The beautiful types of relationships go through the growth phases. Yeah. It, they kind of blossom and bloom. And I think that when you plant those type of seeds, those are the forever seeds. Yeah. And those will always blossom and continue to grow. And you know, it's interesting because yesterday when I came to um, meet with you, you know, my car was in the shop and Demetrius was picking it up for me. And so I took an Uber from my farm to your house. And when the man who picked me up, he said, do you mind if I get out and take a picture of this tree? And I said, of course. And then it dawned on me that he just actually wanted to connect with the earth, right? Mm -hmm. And then so I went and got like some sweet potatoes that we had just uh, harvested, some yucca, a bunch of stuff from the trees and stuff. And he literally started crying. The Just the gift of something yeah. that cost me pennies to plant over to him. 
And he was telling me how much his wife loved mint. And so I we have like it. we have like three different types of mint on the farm. And literally I gave him a bunch of, of bunches and of bundles of that. And he literally started crying. And you know, it reminded me, it is always the simple it's seeing people. It's the simple things. Yeah. Right? Some people would treat an Uber driver like they're their server. I wanted him to have whatever moment he wanted to have. Yeah. I'm grateful that he's actually willing to drive me from in a safe way from point A to point B. And literally just that little brief moment of exchange, it made his whole day. It's funny you tell it. I love that story. And I've I've found myself um, ending relationships, sometimes more abruptly and sometimes they just drift away with people who I don't feel are generous in the way that you're describing, that can't see other people as... Um, as peers, regardless of status or title or socioeconomic class, I, I just don't like being around people who look down on or don't um, actually take the time to acknowledge the humanity in other people and be fully in a reciprocity space with other people. And so I've just kind of distanced myself. I literally am like, I'm just not interested. I have severed ties. I've left clients because of it. Like I just am like, that's not the space that I want to be in. And I think that over, I think we're shifting. I do feel like there's this really important shift that's happening, not just to me or to us, but in the world. In the world, That's yes. also like, listen, we've got to make some changes at really substantive, really fundamental levels. If we're going to survive, we have to become better versions of ourselves. That's right. right? In ways that really are much more simple, much more grateful, much more kind to each other and to the planet and to the ways that we experience the world and and, and, and the, uh, the, the relationships that we have in it. So that's a perfect example, but I do feel like more of that has to happen in every aspect of our lives. I think that's actually one of my most favorite things about you is that that's actually something I picked up on very early in our friendship is how generous and kind and how you there were you were you've always been very successful ever since I've known you very very successful and never ever have I ever seen you dismiss anyone Mm. and you've always embraced people no matter what walk of life they come from that's a very important thing to me when it comes to like people I want to actually have in my personal space because that's like especially the industry I was in for such a long time. It's all built on this idea of a stardom and celebrity, you know, and like the haves and have nots. And so that is a very draining experience. And when you meet people who see each other, like that's really, really important. Speaking of industries, yeah, because what I... I know that there were, I think before, when I first met you, you weren't yet married. Then you were married for a period of time and in an industry that's very intensive, the music industry, very intensive. Then you went on now to be in the world of venture. Tell us a little bit about, um, you know, that shift going, what made you decide to get into venture? It's a huge industry, but it's also complicated. And I know that you are a pace setter, like really breaking ground in a lot of ways. Tell us a little bit about that. Again, I'd have to go right back to God, Mm. my creator, right? The reality is, is that I've been gifted with this understanding of vision and seeing the things that have not already happened, right? I'm always early into something. Mm -hmm. And sometimes that's an advantage and sometimes it just is not, but it ends up being right later when when it happens. But for the most time, you know, 11 years ago, I was getting my MBA. I was extremely, how shall I say this? I was extremely intellectually bored in the music industry. And right before I decided to get my master's, a few years before that, I had 
there was one person, um, amazing, amazing man. He was like hot, severe, like the second largest stakeholder in Apple, mm -hmm. Jeff Martin. Mm -hmm. And he and I had met probably like 15, 16 years ago. And he married a woman who was like the highest ranking female at Apple. And together being married, they would wow. have too much Apple stock. So he ended up stepping down and created his own company. And that's around the time when I had met him. And he, I'm a research person. You know, people think when I was at USA Today that I was actually like selling, creating ads and marketing campaigns for like for to be in print. Actually, I was an expert on the executive on the go, mm, our audience, yeah. right? Gannett, USA Today, they have their masters of data and research. Data's always been the game. People just understand it differently right, now. Right, right. Okay, so literally, I'm a master and expert of experiencing and predicting what the habits and patterns would be for the executives on the go. Interesting. So in the music industry, they did not have an R&D division. I don't believe that they even still do at this time. Interesting. So there was no real development and research side to the industry. But for me, that's always fun and I like to predict. And so there was no iPhone at the time. Mm -hmm. And when Napster happened, it dawned on me, wait a second. Even though they shut this down, there were millions of people who were illegally downloading. Right. So what that let me know as a research background is that we need to predict what the future of our industry will be. That's what got you into business school initially? Well, well no, so I'll, no, oh I'll tell God. you what got okay. me into business school. <laughs> oh my God, that's so, so interesting. So at that time I meet Jeff Martin. Yeah. And I'm like, listen, here's my background. I'm really bored running this label. And I, you know, I created it with my ex-husband. We're it's successful. I mean, we were winning. We were very, very blessed. Yeah. But I wanted to I wanted to know what the next thing in our industry would be, especially when Napster happened. Mm. And so because they spent so much they spent more money shutting that down than yes. actually trying to understand how in the world did he get millions of people to want to do this with music. Right. See, that's the way I looked at it. Like, oh, this is amazing. Yeah. Right. He we're going to consume music differently. Yeah. Let's figure it out. So at the time, Blackberry pagers were like that's the way that that was yep. everyone used a two-way pager yep blackberry like that was the thing and so i met jeff i tell him my background i tell him what i want to do and he's a san francisco guy tech guy he's just like second in charge at, at, at apple. apple yeah and so literally the two of us join forces and we create a case study and we write this thesis on the future of music consumption so interesting and so we got verizon and BlackBerry to partner with us. And we did like a two and a half year campaign where we went from market to market, okay? We built this, we took this old bus and we turned it into a recording studio bus that was mobile. I never heard this story in my life. I, I can't believe I this. still have the case study. I still have all the footage. I still oh have everything. I love No, this. it's amazing actually. And now I never really take the time to really, really go into detail about it, but it's actually a very important narrative yeah. in my journey. And so I'm so excited about this. We, we deck out, we spend a ton of money on this studio, mobile studio bus. We take this mobile studio bus all around the United States. And I put Tim in there, and I put him in there with Tim, Madonna, and Justin, Tim and Rihanna, Tim and Keith Urban, oh Tim and God. Jonas Brothers. Oh, it goes on and on and on. And whoever had a Blackberry phone 
on Verizon, okay? It wasn't even called content then. There were no iPhones. Mm. We were just starting to get into the iPods, but there were no Apple iPhones. It wasn't even a conversation. And so whoever had a BlackBerry Verizon phone, every time we were in the studio, there was just about a five or 10 second delay. You would get the live feeding, get out of here. the live recordings, uh, and we called it video. Mm-hmm. Okay? And literally with just a short delay. So we, we do this for two years, we close out the case study, we do this big report with Verizon and BlackBerry that this is actually the future of music consumption. People are gonna use their phone to consume music. I take it to the music industry, the top, top execs, I'll leave them nameless. You know what I was told? This is temporary, <laughs> yes. This is temporary, Monique. Why don't you just keep being cute over there? Just go sit down somewhere. That was a really hard pill to swallow. I had figured out what the future of music consumption would be. Yeah. And it's not like just your hypothesis in your own this mind. Has you no, had tested it. This has nothing to do with just my, oh. my belief system. Although actually that should have been enough. Okay. Based on my background. Yep. But not only did we have a case study we had two of the biggest companies supporting us, Verizon and BlackBerry, that showed that people were watching the videos on their Verizon BlackBerry phones. Wow. So when I didn't get the response that I wanted, okay, and then fast forward a couple years, Apple comes out with their iPhones. Yep. The rest, the rest is history. And to this day, that was a defining moment in the music industry yep. where creators lost all power and value of their yep. publishing yep. and their creations, where we were asked to give away stuff for a penny. Yep. We were asked to not to give away 21 songs for $7, okay? The fact that historically it can be documented that I ran the first case study of the future of music consumption and no one cared to pay attention to it. It was a defining moment in my love for music. Music is what I loved. Yep. It was, it was no coincidence that people saw me in the music industry. I've loved music since I was a little child. I was a dancer. I was a semi-professional dancer of all forms of art, dancing, tap, ballet, Oh yeah, I, I started as a little little tiny girl. Oh my God. So what music, things. in some way or fashion, I was always gonna be in music. That was one of the one or two things I said, I th don't think you've done, but clearly I was wrong. You've officially done everything. Yeah. <laughs> no, like, I have not it. done, a, I, have, <laughs> I, believe it. I am nowhere near accomplished. Amazing. And so, you know, that's when I was contacted by um, a guy who said, look, I'm putting together this special MBA program it's in conjunction with George Washington, UCLA, and Columbia. And we're only selecting 40 people, and we have selected you. Would you like to be a part of it? Wow. And I said, you know, this might be the time for me to, to go and be curious. I love to be curious, and I love to learn. Like, that's my favorite thing is learning. And I wanted to challenge myself in a, in a way that I was not still heartbroken over what just happened. Yeah. I felt really lost at the time in the music industry, to be honest. I felt very, very lost about the quality of music. I felt lost about everything. Oh, I don't blame And you. to yeah. see this technology happening, and I freaking was a part of, under, like a whole team of us yeah. helped create what the future of this was, and it just was not, 
impactful was interesting to me. So I go through this program and in the first couple of months of the program, I'm introduced to alternative investing. And that's when I met my now business partner, Erica Minahan. Mm -hmm. I love that woman. We are complimentary skill sets. The first day we met each other, we knew. This was meant to be. We knew that we had alignment of purpose. And she has the Wall Street financial private equity investment banking background, 30 years of it, actually. And I have, when you think about it, right, the, the way we built Mosley Music Group, signed fewer artists, all platinum. Yep. Hands-on approach, bumper system. What you need, we got it, right? Yep. That, that could be personal, that could be professional. Fewer of them, more quality over quantity. And so when I started in, I became the most active angel investor in our group. But what I was doing was I wasn't just writing a check. I started having meetings with all the founders. Taking that same philosophy, like that we're gonna help you build hands your skill set, yep. And it started working. Mm. And so Erica and I, like after the first month or two of us investing together, she was like, you know what? We need to create our own fund. So we wrote a thesis on what it would be like if there were more black and brown general partners investing into more black and brown and female founders. Mm -hmm. And the answer would be that we would see more successful black and brown companies and more successful female companies, yep. led companies, right? So we knew we were gonna need a data room. So Erica and I, over the last 10 and a half years, used our own personal money, resources, network, time, energy. When I tell you the sacrifice has been extremely real, it has been extremely real because we realize the only way to balance out this ecosystem financially was to have venture funds that were owned by women and people of color. So tell me the difference. We talked about this last night some and I found it fantastic to listen to you unpack the difference between venture and other ways of being involved in kind of economic you know, um, prosperity or sharing of resources. What is the difference, especially as it relates to closing the wealth gap? Because you know, I, what I'm, tr I'm significantly kind of in, invested in and interested in figuring out how do we solve some of the chronic issues of the world at the systems level, not just well because money it's all systemic. It's all systemic, but we really have to get down to the root and closing the economic wealth gap. Like that's a huge it order. So the first thing is the mindset. Yep, it has to start with the mindset of the systemic organizations, right? And literally that women and people of color are not charity. Yep. We are for-profit business models, okay? And so, you know, realizing that 57% of our nation's GDP is actually from venture-backed companies, that is the biggest statement. Yep. There is nothing else to actually look at right now without, if you, over half of our economy and our profit comes from venture-backed companies, the only thing to focus on as number one is resourcefully funding, yep. and not an impact and charitable way, the dollars that matter. We don't need more not-for-profit foundations. Yep. We can do that once we have more money yes. from for-profit organizations. And so what we realize is that if 57% of our GDP comes from venture-backed companies and less than 1% of black-owned venture funds and black and brown entrepreneurs that are funded by venture, 
less if, if, if that is less than one percent well there goes how you close yep the racial wealth gap guys yep this is not rocket science it's the ability for chaos and confusion to make it seem like it's very complicated right right okay but when you ask the right questions and when this is why I was always willing to challenge myself. The moment I realized that this is where the billionaires came from was private equity, hedge fund, and you're like, venture. Oh, okay, got it. That's I said, you know what? <laughs> this is the group that's gonna not say the most I don't belong here. If I can tap into that yep. and I can learn that and I can be a voice for all of us, then that's exactly what I'm gonna do. And in complete transparency, I risked every single liquid asset I had to build Rain Ventures. Mm. And that is a fact. And so when people talk about sacrifice yep. and people talk about the work, I believe in the execution and I believe in if I'm gonna say something, then I'll put my skin in the game, not just with my time and energy, but my money. Yep. Because if I won't, who else will? No one. I took, yep. me and Erica took everything we have to build Rain Ventures. It wasn't until 2020 that we raised our first formal fund. But in 2020, we had a 10 year data room, right? Of a 49% IRR mm -hmm. and a 15 X return. Amazing. And so what do you all say again about women and people of color? Right. But we have to know that we're profitable. We have to know that we deserve more than charitable dollars. Yep. Charitable dollars are helpful, but they do not fix the problem. No, and it's that it's what I call the deficit-based model of equity, right? It's the way we, and I don't mean equity as in money. I mean equity as in kind of creating more uh, distributed access. And it's where charitable dollars are. You're always sitting like this with your hand out. The the, the whoever it is who's uh, deciding whether or not the funds are going to be made available. But let's even get let's even get back mode. to what a five hundred one c three benefits are. Mm. Okay, when people who are wealthy have a not-for-profit, Yep. You, you're able to move around tax yep. payments. Yep. If you dump your money, up to 50% of your money can go into your not-for-profit and you won't be held accountable. I don't want those dollars that you're actually benefiting for your tax purposes. Right. And it doesn't, you understand? I want the dollars that I you want care the about dollars that, that you're saying are your investable dollars. Yep that you care about a return on investment. Yep. That's the dollars that we have to care about as black and brown people. And those are dollars we that everybody's gonna prioritize. We have to care about those yep. dollars because again, those are the 57% of our GDP dollars. Absolutely, absolutely. So speaking of the long trajectory, last week, week, two weeks ago, you were in Washington DC at the White House as a nationally recognized expert on venture. Tell us a little bit about that. Yes, yeah, so um, this particular administration really dealt heavily with the conversation of the racial wealth gap yep. and really, really trying to solve that in an aggressive way. So like they created the CHIPS Act, which I'm learning about right now. There's different programs that this particular administration has done. And this is the first time where they brought the venture, the black venture world to sit with them and really, really try to solve this. So there's a, it's a five person task. It's a larger coalition and we were up there and we will be, it's a continuing process. Love it. So we weren't just there one time. This administration is actually trying to implement programming regulations, right? Because truly it's always about what regulatory can we yep. add yep. To, to 
break, you know, the barriers to entry need to remove themselves. Yep. So that our companies can get to Wall Street if they choose the IPO. Yep. And so that's where, where they're working on. It's I am the only female. And and what is that dynamic as a, like? Listen, <laughs> I think anytime we deal with positions that have traditionally been held by a man, no regardless of what culture they come from, there is this idea of submission by a woman. Yeah. Okay. And I'm actually, I believe in the balance of it all, but what I won't ever allow to happen is my voice be silenced. Yeah. Nor will I ever allow anyone to tell me I cannot make certain statements in order to not offend someone. The truth is the truth is the truth. And if I don't challenge these things, who is going to challenge them? If I'm the one sitting in that room and I have the opportunity and I literally quiet myself to appease egos, then what are we here for? I'm never going to be silenced. I'm never not going to be a voice for others who cannot be in the room. And I'm never going to take for granted that I'm actually in the room to do the work. Okay, so I'm gonna throw in an equity, diversity, and inclusion question. Just, I know that's not your area of specialization, but you live it and breathe it beautifully. And what you just said reminds me of something that I have experienced with almost every day for the entirety of my career. And it is black women's voices. That whenever we are in a room and we ask questions or we have a strong opinion, or we are making sure that all of the pertinent questions or perspectives have been tabled and the assumptions unpacked, there are often times places where people are saying that we are, um, uh, that we're interrogating with our questions, <laughs> that we're intimidating, that we are, that our tone is uh, toxic. I've literally had toxic used in just in the last week related to even some of my clients all of the time related to black women. Any comments or perspectives about that? Because I feel like this is one where it, it, it it's, it's a ridiculous assumption that we show up in a room that we've been fighting to be in for all of these years and where we have tremendous perspective and value to add. And then when we're there, we're supposed to act like somebody else and also not be fully engaged in ways that we have been trained to do societally. Like we have been trained, I think, societally to be powerful in expression of our opinions. We've had to, in order to get to that table, really learn how to express ourselves, really thought about what it is we're gonna say when we get to that table, really done the research. We're incredibly prepared to be in those places, but then when we are there, the people who are sitting around the table are often offended by us or don't know how to interact with us. What are some of your experiences with that as a black woman who sits in a lot of different rooms? And has a powerful voice. You have a powerful voice and you have a powerful presence. How do you deal with that? You know, the first thing is that I'm really grateful for my mother because I am my mother's daughter. You know, my mother's Greek and Russian. And even before she had me, she was the Caucasian woman who was getting arrested for marching civil rights. And they're like, we're tired of seeing you do this. So you want to keep being that? We'll put you in jail, you know. And so here's the reality. The reality is that I'm wiser now, so I understand things in totality. Mm. So the younger version of myself had a very different perspective of how I would show up in a room, mm. okay? So if I have to go into a room now, before I go into that room, I'm balancing myself. 
I'm praying, I'm meditating, I'm asking God to be my guidance, mm -hmm. right? And to allow me to use a, a use my voice in a way that actually everyone listens exactly. to it. Yeah, yeah. Okay? Because what good is it if you walk into a room and it doesn't resonate? Yeah. So there's the balance of that, and I don't think that has that's not a gender or a color or anything, right? Mm -hmm. Then here's what I came up with few years ago, it's even on my social media as my quote, right? We've been told we can force ourselves at a table, but here's the route that I chose to do, create my own tables. Yep, Whoever agrees with it can come sit with me and we can collaborate in that particular way. I'm uninterested in forcing myself into rooms and I have, I actually look at my career and I think that that's actually been my motto. I just didn't know how to express it for the longest time. I am Monique. I'm a black woman, yes, but at the end of the day, there are eight billion of us. We all have an individual voice and an individual purpose that is meant to be heard. It is our job to individually understand what that is mm. and how we use it and how we leverage it. And it, it starts with what I realize is the color of me, the texture of me, it doesn't matter. I'm walking into a room with a purpose and some type of execution. That's all I care about at this point. And I'm not interested in explaining the dynamics of what we haven't gotten. I'm interested in explaining that I'm here because of who I am and I do represent black women and I'm always gonna represent black women. But at the end of the day, I'm gonna do it unapologetically and it's not gonna be the driver because at the end of the day, what we really need is an inclusive world. We do. I can't wait till we reach the day where skin tones, where people are from, economic differences, cultural differences. I'll be so glad the day that none of that matters, that it's all about, are you a great person? Yeah, yeah. You know, now saying all that to say that this fight is real, of course. Here's what I'm also saying is I don't care to entertain that anymore. Mm. I don't entertain ignorance. I'm not here to argue with anyone. I'm not here to do those things. I'm here to make sure that the work is done. And when you step into that purpose, it's a it's a freeing experience. Yeah, yeah. I'm why would I argue with someone whose mindset is literally low vibration? Yeah, yeah. What is the point of that? Actually, there is no point. What I try to do is map out in my mind another like one no is one no. Who cares? So an ignorant person who's unwilling to learn the truth about humanity and people that's on them. I'm not here to work to do that work for you. I'm here to do my work. Yeah. Yeah. I think about so many of my clients who are in organizations and in these dynamics with colleagues that they really do need to wrestle through. But yeah, you're right. At some point we just have to continuously kind of anchor to our own purpose, our own voice, yes. and then expect the people around us to do their own work and to continue their growth rather than us internalizing it. I'm learning to be more silent now, if that makes sense, and do more work. Yeah, yeah. I'm learning to be, to have real wisdom behind the things I should choose to discuss and argue. Yep. I'm realizing that silence sometimes is the best weapon. I agree, I love the silence. And <laughs> when I tell you, it's making me a better woman mm -hmm. and a better human being. It, it's, that's the reward for me, yeah. is that I'm learning which battles to fight and how to fight them. We have so much wisdom way down in here. Okay, my friend, I'm gonna ask you, um, 
I, I have to ask you this question. It's just your musical background. I just feel like it's a great kind of culmination to get to a, the place that we are right now. If you were gonna say the soundtrack of your life right now, what is it? Oh, okay. I know you know how I, I'm between two songs, but I'll tell you probably if I really, really had to look at it and, and this one statement means so much to me and that would be Nas's song, The World Is Yours. Mm. Because when I think of world, it's not just this physical world. Yeah, yeah. It's the world. It's the everything that God created. It's ours because yep. we're all connected. Yeah. Like that's su it's such a profound statement. Yeah. And if everyone could step into that knowing, mm. oh my God, the world literally would be ours. It is a knowing. It's not even an assumption. It's a knowing. It's not. A, it's not no, a it's a knowing. I feel like if we could all just like take off the blinders and kind of see this is where we actually are together and how the connection exists without a question, without labels, without judgment, without barriers. Boy, we would be beautiful. The, world, the world is, is ours. ours. I love it. Okay, shout out on International Women's Day. Who is it that you wanna send particular love to? I wanna send all love to all women. I think that, you know, women need to know how valuable they are and not in a way for the value of their body, the value of the things that mm. they possess, but the essence yep. of us as an entire gender yep. and the creators of life. Yep. All women deserve a shout out. I hope all women know their worth and their value and I hope they all step into it. Because knowing it. it and then being it and becoming it is different. Yep. The knowing is one part and then the becoming should be the constant work. Yep. And so it would go out to all women. I'll take it. And that's that transformation. That's the yep. journey we're all on. I love it. Thank you. Thank no, you. Thank, thank you. you. And thank you for what you're doing. Thank you for it. what you're doing. And most importantly, thank you for always challenging yourself to be something different and more and put yourself out there. I don't think people talk. We don't talk about it as much how hard it is to actually be the first in your family of something or be the first in an yeah, industry for terrifying. something or to you've been doing what you've been doing for over 30 years where where it wasn't even a thing. Monique, you remember it was, I don't know, a year ago. I think we were sitting at the Afrotech conference. I had just joined a group of people who were sitting together. Somebody asked me what I do, and I've always wrestled with the answer to that because the equity, diversity, and inclusion always seemed like too small of a box. Yeah. I just feel like the labels around it never feel good to me. I get it, and I definitely work with people on it, but I feel like the container is not quite big mm -hmm. enough, and it doesn't touch the way that it should. So I remember having this conversation where I mentioned equity, diversity, and inclusion, and I felt like I got just blasted. Um, by someone who's like, your whole um, industry is a hoax. And I, I really, it kind of threw me into a spiral at the time. And I'm like, for 30 years, I've been working so authentically, so genuinely, so trying to be um, of service. And so to have that experience where I really had to wrestle with how am I perceived? And it wasn't personal at the time. She didn't even know me, but I took right. it very personally. But it has definitely been a gift to make me think I can never take for granted that I am walking in the right path. I'm, I always have to check myself. I always have to do the inner alignment, right? My values and my actions need to always be something that are true to me. And then I can share with other peace, people, but that really important work has to be internal. 
And also, if I don't feel like I'm being effective or I don't feel like I'm truly being in service, I need to get out of the way or I need to make some adjustments. So I definitely know I've watched you do that through your career. I definitely continue to do that through my career. And it's important to like have the have people like you know that this is hard sometimes, that it's it hard to be standing out there kind of singularly in focus and, and putting our stand out there, putting our necks out, but we're also in the arena, you know, and that's the place. I think I, I applaud us because we're willing to be in the arena, even when it's tough, even when it's lonely, even when we have to make tremendous personal sacrifices like you've described, we're still willing to be in the arena and I give us tremendous like love and respect for being able and willing to be though in that very brave, lonely space so oh love i love you. you thank I you love thank you, you for everything you're doing <laughs> yay and happy international women's day, happy international <laughs> women's day. <laughs>